Welcome to Freedom to Choose from Just As I Am Ministries, a nonprofit providing hope to those caught in the devastation of addiction or who are searching for a better way to live. In this series, The Life, you'll study the life of Jesus. Who is he? What is he really like? Does he care about me? Rich and Susan Collenberg are a husband and wife team who found freedom over two decades ago from their lives of drug addiction and alcoholism. They found biblical answers and now share their experience of freedom on Freedom to Choose. Hello, everyone. My name is Rich Collenberg. And my name is Susan Collenberg. Welcome once again to Freedom to Choose and our series, The Life. And we're on program number 72, and this is going to be called Gethsemane Part 2. Um, and if you would like to listen to any of our other programs, you can go to www.justasiamministries.com. Dot com and all of our previous programs are there. Just click the Listen Now button, and it will take you to the entire uh, cluster of series that we have on there. That's www.justasiamministries.com. And Susan, would you open with a word of prayer, please? Yes. Loving Father in Heaven, we are grateful that we have the opportunity to look at your life and as feeble human beings to see um the struggle that you uh, went through and um, just e- even if it's just a hint of, of a understanding of your great love for us. And so we just pray that you will reveal to us in a bigger way all that you have done and are doing in order to um, restore each one of us back to, to um, your ideal. And we thank you in Jesus name. Amen. 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 So, um, so we're going to we're going to dive back into Gethsemane like we did on our last program and talk a little bit more about what went on there and uh maybe a little bit of, about the disciples as well um you know because before Jesus had gone into the garden he had said to his disciples and this is from Mark 14 all ye shall be offended of me because of I'm sorry, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. And they had really assured him that they would go with him to prison and death, but even Peter added, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And that's Mark 14, 27. And I kind of want to park there a second because I have found that my problem in life has always been getting so focused on what I am doing and how diligently that I am doing it, that if my plans don't come out right, I'm, I set myself up to be crushed. And I, it's because I trust myself too much and don't look at the big picture. Hmm. And when we, you know, when we're, when we trust our own abilities, which we, we sh- should be able to trust our own abilities, but when we trust ourselves and our self-confidence and our, uh, when everything's going f- right, we tend to think that we're orchestrating it all. Right. And, you know, one time I thought of a, I thought of a, uh, we were just finishing up a pour on like a second level deck and it had gone well. And I'm starting to, you know, uh, instinctively pat myself on the back. And then I got a little tap on the shoulder about all the moving parts that went into that pour 
about the pump getting there on time and being set up and all the parts on the pump working and that the dispatcher at the concrete supply plant was there on time and they, they mixed the concrete right and all the trucks were on time and all the drivers were on time and the traffic was not too bad that all the trucks got there on time and all my guys got there on time and everybody worked in 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 a spirit of cooperation and coordination to pour the concrete it, and the concrete mix was right and the inspector liked the job and the, it and, really started to shrink your responsibility i'm just huh? saying that there is way too many moving parts for me to have orchestrated it at right. all and i think that that's maybe what we need to do a little bit more of a step back and look at all the moving parts instead of looking at our little thing that we're in charge of right this minute because when that thing fails and we take that upon our shoulder this kind of like you know god said look Rich, okay, the poor went well, but there's way too many moving parts for you to take credit. Right. Right? And I and I think it's it's not just that. It's like having the willingness to be open to um to like what you said, like being open to that bigger picture because um we never we, we only see how we perceive things to be. And so when something happens and or God brings an opportunity into your life and it's not quite in the plans that you have laid out for the day, you know, I think we have to be um, flexible. And, yeah. You know, and and it's it's easy to say. Maybe it's easy to say. The older you get, I don't know. Well, be- you know, it's still it still holds true. We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. Right. And so, if we're constantly going around seeing things as we are, right, we're setting ourselves up for a lot of disappointment. Right. You know, in, a, in, in Alcoholics Anonymous book, uh, I think it's page 59, where it says we as human beings, especially alcoholics, want to write the script. We want to be the lead actor. We want to run the lights. We, we want to build the stage. We want to do everything in regards to this play of life. Because if we did... It, and it, the play would come off fine and everybody would be happy and very pleased with the play. Right. The problem is, is people don't do what we want them to do and the play never comes off fine. Right. And so that's because we want to control everything. We right. want to control what one person says as to another person sometimes. And so I think, especially in as we look at Gethsemane and as we look at life and as we look at what we call trusting ourselves or self-confidence, that we need do, do need to step back and look at that there's a lot more moving parts. Right. And so, but, so that's what the di- disciples had gone through. They went and they trusted themselves. They didn't look to the mighty helper as Christ had, ca- had counseled them to. So when Jesus was in their need, was in his need, his greatest need of their sympathy and prayers, they were found asleep. Even Peter, who had said he would not, um, you know, betray Jesus, was sleeping. And John, the loving disciple who had leaned upon, you know, Jesus' shoulder. Was always with him. Yep, and and he too was asleep. So Jesus uh, addresses Peter. He says, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit is tr- is truly ready, but the flesh is weak. 
the weakness of his disciples actually in this time of need still awakened the sympathy of Jesus. And he feared that they wouldn't be able to endure the test that was going to come upon them when they watched his betrayal and death. Right. He didn't reprove them and he didn't chastise them. He said, watch and pray unless you will enter into temptation. Even in his great agony, he was seeking to excuse their weakness. That's fascinating. He said, the spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Jesus was seized with superhuman agony and fainting and exhausted, and he staggered back to the place of his former struggle. His suffering was even greater than before. Probably because of uh, just being a little bit disappointed in the disciples, but, you know, it reminded me of when he, um, when he was on the cross and he's worried about his mother. Right. He's worried about the people that nailed him on the cross. Right. You know? He's worried about the thief that's being crucified beside him. Yeah. And then he's at the Last Supper. This is his Last Supper, and he's worried about the disciples' dirty feet. Right. He's worried about protecting the reputation of his betrayer. You know? And right. now here he's in Gethsemane, and he's says to them, he doesn't chastise them, like you said. He just said the... Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, you know? And so when he needed them most, he, they weren't there for him. So, you know, as his agony gets greater, he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. So you can only imagine the darkness of Gethsemane at that time. The host of the—because, once again— we're talking about a lot of moving parts, not just looking at a man laying on the ground or, or praying, um, drop, sweating drops of blood. What's really going on? What is this? What is the big picture, all the moving parts? And you know that the entire confederacy of evil was there just trying to get him to, to, fail. to fail. Right. You know? And so he's going through this this agony when a... When a not that it's comparable, not that it's comparable, but it's the same thing. When a when an addict gets that moment of clarity to get clean and sober, there is some stuff that goes on. And I mean, that devil brings up everything you've ever done, and he throws it against you, and you have to keep holding your hand up going, yes, but I've been forgiven for that. It's amazing the darkness that come in can come in when you just get clean and sober. You know but, what I mean? And you know what the thing is, is I think that a lot of, as human beings, there are times when all of us will suffer that darkness. Yeah. And, oh. and, and some people suffer greater bouts of darkness. Some people are, are um, have issues with depression. So the, the same thing when you're talking about an addict, when an addict first gets clean and sober, the brain chemicals are so cattywampus from the ingestion of, of chemicals that affect your brain. So everything is off kilter. And you know what? Sometimes there's people in our lives who have, who do struggle with depression or, or manic depressant, um, uh, disease or whatever it may be you know this world we've said it before we live on a broken planet and there are no pain-free options and none of us are are you know the same health and vitality that adam was when he was created we've had you know six thousand years plus of sin and degradation come into our lives and so you know sometimes 
I think sometimes we think, well, humanity is at its peak, but in reality, if you look at it from that biblical world standpoint, it, you know, we're well, there's we're, a lot we're of way muta- beyond right, way beyond creation. A lot of gene mutations have happened since the Garden of Eden. Exactly, and we can look in the Bible and we can see where other people were depressed. I've I've heard you know some people say, well, depression is a sin, and it's like, but you have stories in the Bible. You even have what Jesus went through, even though what his circumstances were, what his circumstances. It was like you know, this battle with darkness. Yeah. And and that battle of darkness is a real thing. It's a real thing. You know, and this, to me, this was uh, one of the deciding factors in my, you know, when I got clean and sober, I didn't know what the book of Genesis was. I did not know what the Bible was. I didn't know what God was about. All I know is I had a moment of clarity, a tap on the shoulder, and God said everything's going to be okay, and I had no I, no clue how. But what sold me more and more on the power of God and the fact that he was there for my benefit was the was as I studied the human brain and when someone gets off of methamphetamine, the lack of dopamine and the lack of wherewithal that they have, for them, for God to protect them as they grow through that from the power of darkness and the past that is constantly being thrown at them because you have a lack of motivation, you have a lack of everything when you get clean and sober and it's like there's there's no reward you you don't even have a reward system if you will and so like you've destroyed the part of your brain that makes life worth living and so it is very very dark especially for the for me the first couple of years for, for a lot of people it's a year whatever so it just depends on the person uh so w- what kept selling me on the fact that God is real and God is there and God is there to help me is, you know, you you picture just this babe in Christ and then you picture the devil throwing everything he has at him and all the devil has to do is tell the truth about me. Exactly. He doesn't have to lie. Right. If he wants to discourage me, all he's got to do, do is, is tell the truth. Open up those books of our past yeah. and start reading, right? Yeah, and how a, a babe in Christ endures that after a life of addiction is is that's the power of God. That's where the power of God comes in. When he when you ha- he puts his arm around you and you have that sense that everything's going to be all right. You have no idea how it's going to be all right. You're you're basically walking through this whole new ground, feeling new emotions, feeling new everything is new to you, yet somehow you know God is real and and then you go to an NA or an AA meeting and you see a whole group of people that are all sitting there clean and sober, most of them in their right mind. Right. And you say, God is real, and he's brought all these people through all that kind of darkness, and everything the devil could throw at them, they're still clean and sober. Right. And that is the more I especially review my recovery and your recovery and what he brought us through, that, and remember now, the Bible, the Bible alludes to that. They overcame by the word of their testimony. Right. If you have doubts, anyone in... Radio listening land, if you have doubts, look back on what God has brought you through or someone that you know. Look back on it, because that, I think, is in my almanac, if you will, 
That is the road to recovery is how far has he bought, brought you up to this point. He's not going to drop you now. Right. And I think that the the most encouraging thing about the Bible and especially the Old Testament when we were going into the prison is because we could say, you know, some of you have killed people. Some of you have um, stole things. You've done all this. Well, let's talk about the um, oh, the yeah. faithful of the Bible, right? And you can talk about David, and you can talk about yeah, um, you know Samson and and everybody that had those human struggles of of um, protecting yourself and to you know to do everything to make sure that um, you know what the lengths of the the that the Bible characters went to, and a lot of them went to the bad side. And did bad and awful things, but the beautiful thing is that God said, "I I came into David's life, and because David had his was set his heart with me, we were able to restore David and to, work through it, right? And and to be able to he became a new person because of it. Yeah, he didn't write Psalm fifty one before he sinned with Bathsheba. He right. wrote it after. Right, created me a clean heart, O Lord, renew a right spirit within me. Um. So we've often said before, we'll say it again, that the Bible is not about David or Solomon or, or, or Samson or Rahab. It's about a God who can come into those lives and help those people endure the memories of their past when the devil throws it at them. Okay, I mean, can you imagine the, the baggage that Paul—I'm thinking that's what his thorn was when he said, remove this thorn from my flesh, and I think God said— I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna uh, uh, wipe out your memory. That's your baggage, your emotional baggage. You did it. It's history. You're forgiven for it, but you're not gonna forget it. Right. You know, uh, it, it, it's a part of growing. It's a part of. Um, I think it substantiates our faith. Knowing, reading all those stories, and knowing that you know David was a murderer, that Solomon was a murderer, that. Uh, you know, Rahab was a harlot, that the woman was thrown down in adultery was a harlot, and then she was glued to Jesus after that. And all of these characters, if you will, in the Bible, it was so important to watch God reach down and grab them and pull them out of the mess and, and take and, care of them. And see, I think that that's one thing that Jesus probably, you know, during this battle in Gethsemane, one of the things that he had to look for forward to was seeing all these lost tormented souls humans who were you know plucked as a brand from the fire and redeemed and saved to eternal life because they trusted in his message of grace and love and, yeah. and restoration yeah and i that's what i'm sure kept his motor going right was because that's what god's all about right. i mean even when even when the disciples didn't wouldn't pray he went and made excuse for when they were asleep. He went, you know, okay, the the he covered spirit him. is we. Yeah, he covered them. He cut. He if you'll notice throughout the Bible, he did a lot of that. He did a lot of covering people's reputations, right? You know, not exposing them, if you will. Um, so his anguish, his moment of anguish in that garden. Of course, we we've heard it before. Oh, Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, then thy will be done. He's making a decision there. To- right, and he, he goes back to his disciples again, and he still finds, finds them sleeping, and he's just longing for that companionship, some words from his disciples mm-hmm. to encourage him. Yeah, 
yeah, he's a human being. He wants his buddies there. Right. You know, he wants some camaraderie, if you will. He wants some support. But their eyes are heavy. And once again, he wakes them up. And they see him, uh, they see him a little tore up. And it's kind of interesting. Um, in fact, Isaiah says, his visage, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Isaiah fifty two fourteen. Right. And so I'm going to uh, read a short uh, passage from a book that I really like talking about Gethsemane. Uh, it says, Turning away, Jesus fell prostrate, overcome by the horror of the great darkness. The humanity of Jesus trembled in that trying hour. Now he doesn't pray for his disciples that their faith may not fail, but for his own tempted, agonized soul. The awful moment had come, that moment which was to decide the destiny of the world. The fate of humanity trembled in the balance. Christ might even now refuse to drink the cup. It was not yet too late. He might wipe the bloody sweat from his brow and leave man to perish in his iniquity. He might say, let the transgressor receive the penalty of his sin, and I will go back to my father. Will the Son of God drink the bitter cup of humiliation and agony? Will the innocent suffer the consequences of the curse of sin to save the guilty? The words falling, fall trembling from the pale lips of Jesus. O oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Three times has he uttered that prayer. He sees that the transgressors of the law, if left to themselves, will perish. He sees the helplessness of man. He sees the power of sin. The woes and lamentations of the doomed world rise before him. He beholds its impending fate, and his decision is made. He will save man at any cost to himself. He accepts his baptism of blood, that through him perishing millions may gain everlasting life. That's, and that's the controversy right there. Will he make that decision and save man at any cost to himself? And that infuriates the devil because God is love, mm-hmm. and that's what love does. And, God, and, and the devil has always maintained that you cannot run a universe based on love, and God has said that's how you run my universe. Right. And so Jesus makes the decision, and he goes back to his disciples, and they're sleeping again. Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And even as he spoke those words, he heard the footsteps of the mob in search of him. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that that has betrayed me. Standing in front of his disciples, he said, Whom do you seek? And they answered, We seek Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus replied, I am he. And so he is betrayed into the hands of sinful men. And he and we know the story from then on out. But I think it's kind of like we talked about uh, last time as well to to step back and look at really what that that did the did the human race stand in the balance there in at that, that garden point, at right. that garden right. and and what Jesus the preparations that he had made up to that point in constantly doing the will of his father, constantly doing the will of his father, constantly denying self. And and I think so that's, you know, the um, the name of our program is called Freedom to Choose. And God has done everything in order to give everybody the freedom to choose. 
And he says, so I think through this whole experience, he's trying to show the powers of darkness and the powers of light and mm-hmm. how do we choose on a moment-by-moment basis. Yeah, and, and you know, like, like I was saying earlier, the, the beauty of God is to, when we're aligned with him, it's just like that addict that just got clean and sober. You might not have any dopamine in your brain. You might not even have a will to live. But somehow he fends the devil off. Somehow he keeps that addict clean and sober. Somehow the miracle happens. And I don't know what happened with me when I had I had absolutely no motivation. All I knew was everything was going to be all right. And I had no idea how I knew that. Mm-hmm. You know, and it just... Here somehow, God, and right. here somehow Jesus knows everything's going to be all right, even though it's the darkest hour in earth's history. Right. And so this is where our connection with God is important right now. Build and strengthen that connection. That's, that's so that when the test— That's the utmost importance right yep, now. That's when the test comes, we're able to stand. We're going to have to wrap it up again, folks. Boy, this half hour went— rather quickly as well. Um, And so thank you for listening. And remember, folks, there's only two ways to live your life. One is like nothing is a miracle. The other is like everything is a miracle. And you have the freedom to choose. Do I love my neighbor? Thank you for listening to Freedom to Choose. There is truly hope for people whose lives seem to be overrun with problems, unhealthy relationships, or even imprisoned by some form of addiction. Rich and Susan Kallenberg are living testimonials that biblical principles do work. They've authored resources available to move those you love toward freedom. If you'd like to order the Addiction Recovery Workbook, Seven Steps to Freedom, or the book, Could it be this simple, the way out of your prison? Please call Rich and Susan at 916-645-1297 or go to justasiamministries.com. As a nonprofit, they are supported by people like you. 916-645-1297 or justasiamministries.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you.